You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Theater Geeks Anonymous, the podcast about Broadway flops, scandals, and new work. Now we'll take a break from our usual episodes to bring you this intermission sode. <laughs> so um, we're we're gonna do this episode's gonna be um, an intermission. Okay, there's yep. a lot to talk I mean, I about. <laughs> I know. I just am going along with what you're saying. Yes. No, it, there is a lot to talk about. There mm-hmm. is a lot to talk about. And I will actually, I'm going to preface this because it's kind of interesting. Um, all of the stuff that you have sent me today and over the last couple of weeks of the things mm-hmm. that you're wanting to talk about in this episode and then in the next intermission episode as well, mm-hmm. kind of tie into an idea that my dad texted me maybe like oh. two weeks ago. He texted me. He was like, hey, Pamela, you know what? You and Ebony should do an episode about how people are acting within the the audience because it's truly Mm. atrocious, the behaviors that are going on. Mm. But he thought about it because when we went to go, oh, so I was home in January, home in Illinois. Mm -hmm. My dad and I and my niece, Trinity, and then a friend went to St. Louis to see the musical six, which was amazing. It was so good. And I want to see it again. And hopefully it won't be incredibly expensive for the remainder of its time on stage so that I can <laughs> go see it. But this, the entire musical, the girl sitting directly behind me and like maybe two seats over was singing to every song. And I literally like I you know I I glanced back to you know to like make it uh, make it clear that I was aware that she was doing that and I was frowning upon it mm-hmm. and she just kept doing it I know it was like this is not a concert I did not spend this kind of money to listen to you sing these songs right, I want right. to hear the people on stage it was it was maddening and so like I was talking with my dad about that and he was like mm-hmm. oh I mean, it's like going to a concert and I was like dad if I was going to a concert, I would expect that people around me would be singing along with the people on stage. Right. I'm not at a concert. I'm at a show. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> There's a certain level of decorum that you're supposed to have. But like now there are stories everywhere coming out. There's There was a story, Death of a Salesman, where a woman who was completely Ooh, yes. drunk decided to stand up in the middle of the show and get combative with, oh, I can't remember the man's name right now. The Wendell, man Wendell Pierce. Thank you. Yeah. Wendell Pierce decided to get combative with him and he was so gracious with her and just kind of like 
made sure that, you know, once she was gone, that, you know, he kind of calmed things down and then started the show again. But like, how awful would that be as an audience member and also as a person on stage to be, you know, like, uh, 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 (laughs) like affronted with Mm -hmm. that kind of behavior? And then you've yeah. got the people that are on their cell phones all the time and that are talking Ugh. during the show. Yeah. I just saw a TikTok from the perspective of a man on stage saying that there was a woman in the audience that was talking on her cell phone Jeez, OP. throughout the show. Let's talk about that for a minute, though, because, yeah, yeah the Wendell, Wendell Pierce situation, mm-hmm. uh, Death of a Salesman, has has since closed. Yeah. Um, but... He, I, I, I was on, I think I was visiting my family while it happened. And so I come back and I see it, you know, my Broadway briefing and like any other places I saw it. Um, and I, I was just like, oh man, like that, what I is, mean, and that was what is going on? Seriously. It, it's, well, I, it's, it's so it's bad. It was bad. It was really bad. Yeah. It was really very ex- like so disruptive. It the was... show had to be stopped. Absolutely. And Wendell was and in a lasted. very intense scene. Yes. The police had to come in and like oh. escort her out. I mean, it was really horrible. It really and was. He he was. I mean, he was a real MVP VIP. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. He was like I do. he he handled it with the most amount of kindness like yes I I mean generosity and Mm -hmm. um it made me sad also because I I man death of a salesman I saw it it was so good it was so I mean I didn't see it this time but it is (laughs) such a wonderful show Mm -hmm. and this particular um production what was so moving about it was that you know, this time you have this underlying idea of, you know, when we talk often about um, systemic racism. Yeah. And you have this man who's been working in this company for X amount of years and those younger than him who happen to be, you know, white are also getting like they're moving up in the ranks. They're getting these promotions. Yeah. And he's been sort of like the mainstay, like working, you know, his butt off and and mm-hmm. um, then just sort of gets thrown away. It yeah. had a whole other uh, aspect to it that I think in this day and time um, makes it much more relevant um, than, you know, especially right now. Yeah. We need another play about white people feeling um <laughs> ostracized Anything. when they you know and well, right. you know when we're dealing when they're with... the ones that set the system up in the first place That's I mean the right. whole reason Willie the whole reason Willie Loman in the original production is being cast out of his position within the company is because a white man set up that company in order to do just that very thing right right mm-hmm and if you're and, too old, if you can't keep up, that all right. of that stuff, that's all patriarchal and that's all systemic racism, right? There. It, totally. And so, and so it's ageism, it's like all those things. Mm-hmm. And and also this production factors in race in a way that like yeah. other productions in the past have not. Um, 
So, so then it's just like, so sad that like the woman was of color and doing this and we feel, you know, it's a thing that like most white people, I don't know if that, I don't know if they feel it in this way, but like we definitely as people of color, it's like when one person, one of us does something, the rest of us feel the weight of it. Because sure. then it's like, we're all look through the lens of like, well, so-and-so did such and such. And so yeah. then they begin to see you and and think that like, you're going to act in the same way. And so we're just like constantly dealing with this. And there's like a collective shame that happens. And it was just sure. like, you know, it, <laughs> it was just like, really, ma'am? Really? Yeah. <laughs> I think um, speaking as a white woman in this world, we have something similar, but maybe not the same in that. And this is happening quite a lot, quite more frequently than I think anything has. And this will kind of lead into what else we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. But there have been a lot of instances in the very recent past of, of white women using their tears and their privilege yeah. A- against black people mm-hmm. and and sometimes getting those black people killed that's right and mm-hmm. that i think you know if if you are a person that is trying to be an ally and i'm saying that about myself like i i want to be an ally i want that as much as possible but i don't know that i can really call myself an ally yet like it's a mm-hmm. weird kind of you know middle ground mm-hmm. but the people like me that are trying that are that do have empathy and compassion and want for all of us to have this equity yeah um you know it's like one person does that and then you almost feel like are we ever going to get out of this like yeah. is there is there anything i can do as as one person to do it's like to combat all of these other things that are happening all of these other people that are so vocal about their yeah. are about their distrust and their hate for other people yeah i i i i on the other side of that as being you know a a woman of color mm-hmm. i I would there there are times when I'm like, oh, good. Are we ever going to get from underneath this system? And and I've I've just come to this conclusion that like things are different than they were when my mom and dad were young and my mom was being bused into schools. So at least that's not happening anymore. And yeah. So I'm like, things are definitely different. Are they where we want them? Absolutely not. But no, No. but it's that like, you know how people talk about life being a journey every single day, we make a better choice. Yeah. Even if it's, you know, we're one person, but if many one persons are making different choices every day. Mm. then that's a that's a a huge amount of people making different better choices every day and so it can feel insurmountable I have gotten severely depressed in times I mean just so deeply depressed but I I also feel like you know what I can't change everyone I can just do what I can do and that's a lot you know, okay. I mean, yeah. 
I, I, especially in 2020, I was like, <laughs> I, I just remember one, like one week I was on, woo, girl, your girl was on the struggle bus. She was on, <laughs> on oh. struggle street. Okay. Yeah. She was on both. And, um, out of that, like came the think tank for theatrical innovation, which I, you know, started with a couple of friends and we've been having these conversations and those conversations have led people to make like different, better choices and to create work that's more IDEA and, and just like mm. change their way of working. And it's like, that affects more people than just me, right? Like that's, th true. that's more people yeah. than just me that are affected that I could never reach because I'm just one person. But if yeah. I sit down and I'm willing to have like these difficult conversations, these insightful conversations, conversations that stretch myself and my thinking and other people in their thinking, mm. then like that, that's huge. And then they go and make those small different choices and those yeah. small different choices affect other people. And it just keeps going and going. Right. And so, yeah, it's, it's given me a lot of hope because yes, like the, the jerks are loud and we're about to yeah. talk about some jerks <laughs> that were super loud and obnoxious. Yep. Yeah. But you know, it's like, I then think about like all the folks that condemned the actions of the loud, obnoxious people. There was like so yeah. many organizations that came out against this type of speak. And so I was like, you know what? I, yes, there's always going to be somebody that is wretched. What do you, you know, mm. it's just, it's the way the world is, but yeah, there's a lot of people who aren't. And, um, a lot of people who are trying and they're working on themselves and working on changing the way that they think and move through the world. And, and I just have yeah. to, I just, I, I know that that changes things again, because we're not where my parents were when they were, you know, yeah. younger than me. Well, um, I suppose my, if you, if you look on the timeline of things, yeah. nothing ever happens overnight. It always right. happens over the course of decades or centuries. So mm -hmm. yes, <laughs> I'm glad that you feel hopeful. Maybe <laughs> I'm just kind of in a, a depressive state at this point, but it's, but it's I totally understandable. Saying. Yeah. It's, it really is understandable. And, um, you know, if, if we, well, let's, we might as well get into it. The next topic mm. um, is going to be about these anti-Semitic protests that happened at the first preview of Parade. I'll be honest in saying I was not the least bit surprised that it happened. And no. one of the things that I feel like has been, one of the things that's happened over these last few years as people who are bigoted feel, um, you know, very free to express themselves is that yeah. we see who they are. Yeah. And so now instead of like, and I've used this analogy many, many times and you all have heard me say it, but it's like, we now see all the roaches. So now yeah. we can like pull out the raid or whatever we need to, <laughs> you know, yeah. to, to eradicate this, because if it just continues to hide, then yeah, you're no, like, you're absolutely right. You know, people really thought before Trump got elected that we were in an anti-racist country. <laughs> ah, <laughs> this is so hilarious that people thought that. Um, <laughs> and so in seeing things like this, it then says, oh, this is why 
shows like Parade are important because literally mm-hmm. young people don't know the history. Like the, yeah, you know, Pamela, you're going to describe Parade and all of that. But like, this is actual living history. Okay. Like yeah. there are people still alive from this situation that happened. It was not that long ago. And so many people don't know about it. In fact, like anecdotally, I have a dear friend who grew up in the town where this happened, grew up not knowing it had happened until they were in like high school and they only had one teacher that addressed it. Wow. It's like this. They they didn't talk about it at all in my school. We didn't hear about this case at all. Same, same. And I, and, and, you know, this person was like, I just had the one teacher. And I said, some of us didn't have the one. It's, it's just that like, you know, these things happen, have happened, and people are so uneducated about our recent history, um, you know, that they then really, they don't know how bad it can get. And us not understanding our history really puts us in a difficult space where we begin to repeat it. 100%. And that's why shows like Parade and Leopoldstadt, which is open right now, and then last uh, uh, last year, 2022, the play Camp Siegfried, which a lot of people don't know about the, the Nazi camps that we had just here in like Connecticut and different parts of New York. People don't know about these. Mm. And so you need art like this to tell you, <laughs> listen. Yeah. This was in our own backyard. Okay. This is not like only Germany. Right. Okay. This is also here. And you need to know. It's, and it's been here. I guess that's yes. just it. It's like it it what yes, of course it's in Germany. And yes, of course it was happening all over the world. But right. but where did all of the Americans that live here today come from? Right. We came from all of those other places and we just brought <laughs> right. our biases with us. That's right. And as well as the people that we then oppressed. Like it's it's so, you know, you look at it and I, I, I this is what infuriates me right now. <laughs> yeah. Ron DeSantis down in Florida mm-hmm. has yeah. decided to make it his life's mission before becoming president in his own mind, mm-hmm. to make it his life's mission to decimate any amount of knowledge about yeah. other people within his own state yeah he's banning books left and right Mm -hmm. and it's literally now uh an an illegal thing to have any books in your classroom and a teacher that has a book that is not approved can be arrested and charged for that so now all of these teachers are taking out all of the books just to be on the safe side right so now you don't have any past knowledge because you can't read books Mm-hmm. Uh, you can get on the internet, but I'm I'm imagining that probably he's going to put some sort of like a parental block in place right. within the internet, within the technology that is given to them at school. You've got parents that are probably just as biased as Ron DeSantis that aren't going to go into any detail with their children. So you've got this entire generation of people that is, has not only essentially condoned the oppression of hundreds of years worth right but now Mm -hmm. they are oppressing their own children's generation that's right by not allowing them to know where their history is and if we don't know our history we are doomed to repeat it and how often do we hear that phrase especially now 
That's right. I was listening to um, a podcast this week and this um, gentleman who was a professor at Harvard and he has some data that's like, seems to be controversial. Um, uh, but seems what I found, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll send you the podcast and you can sort of okay. listen to it um, and sort of understand why, but, but you know, one of the things he, he, he said, which I was like, I mean, there's a lot he said that I was like very interested in and agreed with, and some of it I didn't. <laughs> um, but one of <laughs> yeah. the big things he said was like, we've got to stop saying that our kids are too fragile and can't right. handle our history. Right. Like we have to stop saying we need to shield them from the truth of this country. If sweet little Ruby Brown could walk into yes. a segregated school no longer as a child mm -hmm. and be yelled at by adults and children alike and still be able to be brave enough to do that, mm -hmm. then white children are going to be fine. They're going to be fine. They're going to be fine and they're going to learn some things and yeah. they'll survive. But the you know, thing is I... too, and like, I guess I maybe... It's because I grew up in a family that I did that was so accepting of everybody around us. Yeah. But when I was learning about slavery, when I was learning about the oppression of other races and and also like disabled people and, yeah. you know, LGBTQ at the time, you know, to me, it never made me feel bad. It just gave me permission to do better. That's right. Does that make sense? It does make sense. And I, I mean, like, that's kids are, you, you know, there's that song from South Pacific, you have to be carefully taught because yeah. kids don't like immediately come in with a negative bias, right? They are taught how to be negatively yeah. biased. Like I, I so vividly remember as a little girl having this friend when I was probably about four or five years old and she was white. And she, like, we played on the bus every, like, going to school, coming from school every day, hand clapping for forever. And her <laughs> sister was always trying to pull her away from me. Yeah. And I was the only black kid. Wow. And it took that's me. That's miserable. Mm -hmm, it took me many years to understand, like, why she, because I was, you know, I, I'm a little goody two shoes, have been. <laughs> For so much of my life, it's not like I was yeah. like some negative influence. And so I always like I was a bit confused about why that happened. Sure. And I didn't tell my parents because I didn't understand it. Yeah. Um, I just noticed it. And um, I and then as an adult, I'm like, oh, right. <laughs> I, so I see. Sad. Yeah. But but she and I had no concept of, you know, any of that like she yeah. it was just I was her friend well no of course not constantly yeah. push off her sister and be like leave me alone leave me alone uh, but that that's the thing right is that like in teaching children that yes that friend you have is so lovely and like this is their history and how can you mm -hmm. love them even better that's yeah. what's actually that's what people are trying to do Right. It's not, you know, and, and so I don't know. I just, it's concerning, but Pamela, I do want to ask you to give a synopsis yeah. of parade because we okay. know for a fact, we have like middle schoolers who listen. <laughs> Definitely. And so this, 
we have, this is a real education for them to understand that this thing actually happened and not that long ago. Yeah. So, and, and I also do want to point out, we did a full episode about this. So after you listen to this, you can go back and listen to that as well. Yeah. And I'll go into like much more detail, but like the Cliff's note version of parade is you've got Leo Frank and Lucille Frank. They are Jewish married couple in uh, Marietta, Georgia in 19, in the early 1900s. This, uh, this exact moment happened in 1913 happened is Mary Fagan was going in she was, I think, 14, 12 or 14. I think she was 14. Mm-hmm. Going into work 14. at her factory job. Oh, thank you. Uh, mm-hmm. Pencil factory job, pencil factory that Leo Frank owned to go and pick up her paycheck for that week. She then was discovered dead in the basement of that pencil factory. It, almost immediately, Leo Frank was accused. I mean, there was another man that was working in the, in the pencil factory as well, that was also accused. He just happened to be a man of color. Then he was quickly, you know, said, no, you didn't do it. And Leo Frank was pinpointed. So he was falsely accused. He was essentially prosecuted in the paper by the media more than anything else. And there was a lot of like bias going on behind the scenes within the judicial system as well, which led to him being convicted of this crime in 1913 it basically life in prison right except that he didn't make it to life in prison because a couple of years after he was convicted a lynch mob decided they're just gonna go to the jail take him out and kill him because they wanted the justice that they wanted and they weren't going to wait for it but decades later on death on his deathbed a man that was intrinsically tied to both the pencil factory and to the leo frank case came out with the information that it was actually another man named Jim Conley that worked also at the pencil factory that had indeed murdered Mary Fagan. Uh, and he was, I, there's something and in the musical. It's very clear that, that uh, the governor and Jim Conley are kind of like, you know, shaking hands behind the scenes about mm-hmm. Jim, you know, putting evidence towards Leo Frank. I'm not sure if that happened in real life, but mm-hmm. it is, there was clear evidence against Jim Conley when there wasn't against Leo Frank. And yet Mm -hmm. Leo Frank was still convicted of this crime. Mm -hmm. So that in a nutshell (laughs) is parade and also kind of a little bit more of the backstory of Leo Frank. Mm -hmm. Now this came out, I believe in 98. Yes, that's right. I can't recall exactly. mm -hmm. Okay. I bought this CD almost as soon as it came out. And I was, this was like my junior year in high school. Listen to that thing on repeat. I loved it, right? But I was, again, more fascinated with the true crime aspect of it than anything else. Mm-hmm. So in this, you know, fledgling internet era, I was like looking up everything I could about Leo Frank and just mm-hmm. falling down rabbit hole after rabbit hole. Through my research, it was perfectly clear to me mm-hmm. that there was an injustice done a horrible injustice done right yeah. but mm-hmm. it wasn't so clear to them and apparently it's not so clear to people today because right. on the opening preview of parade uh on february 23rd uh mm-hmm. there was a group of people anti-semitic people that were protesting the show mm-hmm mm-hmm I did not understand this because I saw the headline, but I was like, what are they protesting? Like mm-hmm. the, the show itself? Like, I don't, 
I don't understand. Like, what is a bigot protest, right? What do you do? Mm -hmm. Hold a sign up that says we don't like Jews? Like, but that's not what it was. It's it's this group of people. And if I can come across the name of that group, I will let you know. Oh, wait, Mm -hmm. I think I have it. Oh, it's called the National National Socialist Movement. It's a far right white supremacist group. Mm -hmm. These people have been in existence since the lynching of Leo Frank. Mm -hmm. They are people that will, every time Leo Frank's name comes up, will be there to protest the idea that he is innocent because Mm -hmm. they don't believe he is. One of the people that is a member of this group and was also protesting parade coming to the theater in the initial show of 1998 and also of today's production uh, is Mary Fagan's great niece Mm. who truly believe, and this is very difficult, right? Because she, her, her relative was the one who was murdered, but even (laughs) she truly believes that this man committed this crime. So even she is like protesting this, the, just, just the idea of him being innocent put in a show has just riled this group up so much. Yeah. It it reminds me of um the jogger from uh the Central Park 5, the Exonerated yes. 5 because she even though another man confessed to the assault and his DNA proves that mm. these five young men had nothing to do with it, she still yeah. has decided to believe that they did it. Well, and it's it's kind of like what's happening, you know, with with everything that's coming out right now with the election being rigged and with, you know, Leo Frank being innocent, like the proof is right in front of them, but nobody's choosing to believe that proof. They're just doubling down on the fact that that must be a lie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And it's crazy to me, but it also kind of makes sense. In that if you believed this wholeheartedly, if you truly believe all of this that is in your heart and mind to believe, and suddenly someone says, no, actually it's not, and here's the proof, Mm -hmm. what are you supposed to do with that? Like, your whole world is going to implode. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. That's really, that's really true. Um, I mean, again, all I'm, all I'm going to say repeatedly (laughs) is that with with what happened at the opening preview for parade and mm-hmm. what we've seen in the news over the last few years this show absolutely needs to be there leopold yes. stat absolutely needs to be there mm-hmm. um i honestly hope camp Siegfried is able to come back because i didn't get a chance to see it and um a lot of people don't know about those camps. I only found out about those camps back in like 2017 when my brother was going to work on Long Island. And I was like, just curious about where he, the city he was going to be doing construction in and found yeah. out like Hitler street had only been taken away like a year or two before he was going to be there. There was still a oh Hitler gosh. street. By where the camps have been. Uh, Explain for the people that don't know, what are these camps that you're referring to? So there were, um, there were, uh, if anybody has seen Jojo Rabbit, you'll have a little bit of an understanding. Now, Jojo Rabbit, of course, takes place in Germany, 
But the premise of that movie is basically there's this little boy who is a part of these youth camps. And these youth camps basically teach white supremacy and mm. um, all of the Nazi ideals that Hitler um, held to throughout his reign. And so uh, in the U.S., there were several of these camps as well that popped up during the period of time where Hitler was rising to power and the Nazis and the Communist Party over there were sort were rising to power. And um, there were several up in like through Long Island and Connecticut. And Camp Siegfried was one that was on Long Island. Um, and the town that my brother was in had one as well. I'll be honest in saying I don't remember the name of that one. It could have actually been Camp Siegfried, but okay. they did have a Hitler Street. He was there in 2019, um, and the Hitler Street had just been taken down in like 2017. That is, I, I, I am, <laughs> mm-hmm. I am amazed at this information because I grew up. And I feel like you couldn't say Hitler like right. if you you unless you were talking about the historical relevance of it. Like if you, these are these are words that you just don't say. Right. right. And so to have a whole street. Mm-hmm. I, I ju- I'm I'm appalled. Yeah. Yeah. And it's funny because when I found that out, I I a few weeks later, I was up in Long Island um, at a, a friend's house with his parents and and stuff and um we were chit-chatting and I you know told him what I had found and it was not far from his house really? you know and he was totally shocked oh my gosh so he didn't even know no um and it, it was like it was still like you know I told him what town he was like yeah that's right and I I'm not in Long Island very much so I don't actually know you know, the location of like how close yeah. or far we were, but he knew exactly where the town was. And I was like, oh yeah. And that only came down in 2017. It's just like mind blowing. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's it's that it was so recent, but this is why I say and said at the beginning of this episode, like recent history. Yeah. You know, because we think it's so far out and I'm talking, I'm telling you about something that was only about what, like five, six years ago. Mm-hmm. Five years. Yeah. You know, so if you have a five or six year old kid, there was still a Hitler street when they were born. Just I think so you anything, know. anything like this that was finally called out in the 2000s. Yeah. Is, is too, it was too late, too <laughs> little, too late. This was a year we started our podcast that the street just got changed. Yeah. Um. So. That's uh, uh, friends, you know, we're going to we're going to talk more about parade um, in Mm. the follow up episode to what shows are upcoming. But this episode is like really just devoted to some things that are happening in the world and as that pertains to theater and um, social issues. And so we absolutely, of course, had to talk about this 
And yeah. uh, like I said, the response is like a lot of people have come out against it. You know, Mayor yes. Eric Adams took to the stage to denounce what happened. Like every single union has come out against it. Mm-hmm. Um, the producers made a statement against it. Um, and so did Jason Robert uh, Brown came. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, and then also uh, yeah. <laughs> Ben Platt took to Instagram and did a, a video, which he doesn't do very often. Um and and talked about it you know and it's it's not surprise it's wild but not surprising yeah you know and i guess that's the that's the saddest part to me is that it's not surprising yeah you know so long we've been talking about wanting diversity on stage not for diversity's sake but because that's what's normal that's what yeah. the world looks like and that's the mirror that theater should show us right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but i think i think the same about the ideals and values of the people of the human existence of the humans that live in this world all together that there should be an equity, not for equity's sake, but because that's just how it is. That if you're a person and I'm a person, that's where we meet in the middle. Right. Mm-hmm. 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 Yep. I will. I do want to read something really quickly about from do the it. Jason Robert Brown. Please um, do. What he wrote. It's really, I mean, there's a lot in it that's really interesting. Uh, so if you, I don't know where you found it, but if you can, if you want to give that information, it's definitely um, worth a read. It so for I get Broadway briefing every weekday and so they send a list of like, you know, uh, articles that happen. So that's where I found it. Um but it's on Jason Robert Brown's website. And I believe it's like a blog post, right? Okay. It seems I know like it. I mean, that's how yeah. it's written. Yeah, it I definitely so Pamela read it because my computer would not load it. <laughs> so, uh, and so, but what I could see from the web address was that it was Jason Robert Brown's, you know, personal, his website. So if you yeah. all just go to his website and I think it's just jasonrobertbrown.com, um, you can go to the blog post and you'll find it. Yeah. Right. So what I want to read is towards the end of it, and I will be editing this for language, mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, Jason Robert Brown, this, these are his words. He says, I feel terrible that audience members who are waiting in line to see our show on Broadway may be accosted by neo-Nazis. I can't believe I'm writing that sentence, but I'll tell you the truth. I'm glad the a-holes showed up. I'm glad they feel threatened enough to emerge into the light and show their faces. Mm -hmm. I suspect they don't particularly know or care about the case. They just want to yell out the words Jew and pedophile. Mm -hmm. They won't really engage with you. They can't. Everything they could tell you about Leo Frank and the case has been decisively debunked over and over again. No legitimate conversation about the murder of Mary Fagan will end with you believing that Leo Frank was guilty. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This facts on facts. Mic drops. It's true. Well, and and I will just on uh, because when I was searching Leo Frank on the internet in 1998, mm-hmm, all of mm-hmm. the information that came up was factual. It was you know newspaper clippings and um, transcripts from the court case. Like all of that was the stuff that I was coming into contact with. Today's internet is not that internet. 
Today's internet allows for anybody and everybody to put whatever opinion they want on on the web, right? And for anybody to read it. And there are white nationalist groups like this one who Mm -hmm. put up information on the internet that is not true. And if you are not doing your due diligence in trying to research and make sure that that is an accurate portrayal of what is going on, then you will be misled. So I want to... I want to suggest that you go and look up these cases because the uh, Emmett Till case and the Central yeah. Park Five exonerated five case and the watch Leo Till. Frank case. Also watch Till. Oh, totally. <laughs> I, 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 I want you to look up that information yeah. and to absorb it because mm-hmm. we can only move forward and we can only do better by knowing where we come from, right? Yeah, that's but right. But I also just want just a, a word of caution in that if you are reading something, make sure that you look it up further. Just fall down the rabbit hole a little bit. Make sure that what you're reading is factual and true. Yeah. Facts on facts. (laughs) Amen. Yes, and. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, So we are going to pivot uh, but please, as always, we we love if you uh, email us um, or you want to tweet um, at us uh, and continue this discussion further. I mean, to be honest, mm. like we're not going to engage with neo-Nazis. So if a neo-Nazi nope. hears this, uh, you'll get no answer from us because I'm not, I don't have time for <laughs> For you. No. Um, and that's, well, there's no, I don't there's, care what anybody thinks. I yeah. have no time. There's no, you can't talk to these people. No. And my time on earth is too precious to waste Absolutely. on you. So, <laughs> <peace>. <laughs> um, I'd rather love. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so speaking of education, I feel like this is a, a decent pivot since we were talking about the things that are happening um, in Florida. Is the Museum of Broadway is offering educational curriculum to student groups that come uh, to visit. So they will offer um, thing. They'll offer curriculum for before you get there, and then they'll also offer some um, for while the student groups are there. And that some of the themes that will be available are the making of a Broadway show, musical theater as a genre. And I love this one. Identity politics on stage, retelling yeah. history on stage. Yes. Right. Um, and then of course, adaptations and rewriting for theater. So. Yeah. Which is what they essentially did with death of a salesman, not necessarily yeah. rewriting, but it was a retelling of the story from a different point of view. Mm-hmm. Yep. diversity wise. <laughs> right. It's really great. So, um, that's very exciting. And, um, the lesson plans will be age appropriate and it's, it's wonderful. This is like a really yeah. wonderful addition. Um, that like, I'm happy there's a museum of Broadway and I'm also happy that they are offering like educational workshops and resources for school groups. This is wonderful. Totally. And I want to um, go. Do you want to go to the museum with me? Yeah. 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 I absolutely okay. do. <laughs> I absolutely do. Uh, awesome. So we're going to do that and go to parade because we also are yes. scheduling that. Mm-hmm. I'm cool so beans. excited. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay. And so then also like 
continuing to go with that theme, there's an article in the Financial Times, um, and it's specifically about Lin-Manuel <laughs> Easy for you to say. I know. <laughs> Usually it is. I cannot I believe I chuffed up that. That's wild. It just um, rolls off your tongue. I know. Usually it does. Um, and it's specifically about Lin-Manuel Miranda's um, working, the way that he's been working uptown to make sure that, like, the arts community uptown is being seen within their own community, right? Instead yes. of having to always go downtown to midtown to be seen. Mm -hmm. Um and so, you know, most of us sort of know that this this began, you know, specifically with him trying to sort of rebuild um, spaces up there for things to be seen with the 175th Street, like Palace Theater, which I've been to several times. It's absolutely gorgeous, totally incredible. Nice. Um, and so he was working on that even before Hamilton, like he was literally writing Hamilton and, and, and doing that. And then there... There is uh, every summer, and to be honest, as a New Yorker, it's sad. I didn't even really know this is happening. But in my <laughs> defense, New York City has so many things going on, I literally can't keep up. And so I'm only feeling 50% terrible um, <laughs> because I just can't see everything. But there's a thing every summer called the Uptown Art Stroll. And um, it's been happening since 2003. And so now we're at the 20 year mark. And it's now it went from like being one or two days to now it's like a month long celebration. Cool. Um, and it happens in northern Manhattan's West Harlem, Washington Heights and Inwood as well. Um, and it's like my just old neighborhood. Everything. Sure is. <laughs> Sure is. And I, I have I have friends up in uh, in Wood um, mm. who will just be like, yeah, we saw Lynn at the grocery store. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, and so the Miranda family has been working with NOMA, which is the Northern Manhattan Arts Alliance for several years um, to do this. And this sort of this sort of deals with the thing that like Pamela and I talk a lot about and my friends and I talk a lot about, which is also about accessibility. Right. And accessibility is like many pronged, right? Like I'm also very interested in accessibility as it pertains to people with disabilities and chronic yes. illnesses. And I'm extremely concerned about our lack of attention to this, uh, mm. especially after COVID and how, you know, there was such hope about us understanding um, that we need to make space more accessible for people who mm -hmm. are immunocompromised. And instead, we are just like pretending like COVID never happened or isn't yeah. happening right now, you know, oh, and so back to normal people got vaccinated. So we're fine. Well, but a lot of people didn't. <laughs> no, I know. I was a lot being of sarcastic. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. You know, and um, yeah. so I, like I'm very concerned about that. And as I continue to, you know, sort of put on my producing hat, I'm trying to be very aware of like, am I creating spaces that are like safe for immunocompromised people and also sure. like just accessible for individuals whose like mobility or different 
things yeah um are are barriers to them coming to the theater so I, I look forward to having some control um over like spaces I create but I wish other yeah. people who have spaces that they create would also pay attention to this because I have well, friends who like legitimately have... stopped going to the theater because they just oh, can't that's sad it is. Well, it's because it, it's also like you look at the the amount of vast resources that these producers and theater owners have yeah. and that they aren't doing anything with them in order to make it physically accessible for people. We're we also have an issue with it being financially accessible. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Which is my biggest complaint. <laughs> It's a, it's a huge issue. And it's also, I mean, it's another one that like Lynn took into consideration when, when he, Mm -hmm. when Hamilton happened, you know, that's why they had those $10, um, uh, it was $10 Wednesdays where it's like all the students throughout all five boroughs, it was like 10 bucks they had to pay to come see a show with their school. Oh, nice. Yeah. And so, I believe that's still happening as far as I know. Please somebody mm-hmm. tell me if I'm wrong and it is no longer happening. But it was in conjunction with the uh, Rockefeller uh, Foundation. And so, you know, he's trying to make Broadway more accessible. He's also trying to create spaces for people in his a neighborhood to show their art and make it so that, again, it's not one day, it's like month long and they don't have to you know, only be accepted downtown to be able to show off the work that they're doing. And so right. this is like super, this is really exciting. I'm continuously proud of him. Um, yeah. even though I don't know him for anything. <laughs> <laughs> and um well I think that's a testament to how accessible he is. Right, right. Mm-hmm. And he does he does say in this article, I try to make myself available to everyone. Yeah. Oh, I loved that. So um, because part of it had to do with Stephen Sondheim, Stephen Sondheim did the same thing. Like he would reach out to uh, fledgling or new composers, lyricists, show writers and give them critiques and try to uplift them and try to support them in whatever way that he could. Mm -hmm. And Lin-Manuel said in that interview that he wants to do the same thing now that Stephen Sondheim is gone and not Mm -hmm. no longer able to do that. He wants to step in and do that for young creators now yeah he did he did say that and I have friends with like letters they got from Stephen that are framed and like in their homes and stuff because he was so kind yeah he was really kind um yeah well tick tick boom has a whole plot sequence about that right Stephen Sondheim reaches out to Jonathan Larson leaves him a voicemail on his answering machine that said hey this is what I think you need want to give me a call and we can chat about it like he he's you know he was accessible too (laughs) he was he was and that in the movie that was one of his last two performances was doing his own voicemail um I know it's like this little nugget for all of us (laughs) Um, the other one was, well, I'm not going to spoil it if folks haven't seen the movie yet, yet, but there's another movie he's in, which was also one of his last performances. And also one of the last times my other favorite human was on screen. (laughs) Um, all right. So next thing we want to talk about is this is the last, this is going to be the last thing for this episode, which is probably pretty long already. Um, and this one, is, 
this is the reopening of La Mama. It's an off-off-Broadway um, sort of incubator for new work. And it went through a couple of years of renovation. And uh, it got reopened with Andre DeShields emceeing because, I mean, it was one of his artistic homes when he was coming up. Um, and it was so fun to like watch the video and see like the whole neighborhood just sort of come out and all these different <laughs> people, you know, like different, uh, ethnic backgrounds, ages, like everybody's all over the place and they were ringing bells, which, um, the woman who founded it, like that's, that's what she would do. Um, I think it was when a new show started. And so yeah. when they opened it, that's what they all did. Like you'll see in the video, they're all like ringing bells. It was a Pix11, <laughs> which is a news resource we have up here in New York City, um, did a story on them and they were showing that. Cool. And it was just so delightful. And nice. uh, unfortunately, we've sort of had this string of new work incubators close in, in New York City. Um, mm. And so... You know, due to funding, uh, COVID, so many different situations where they just couldn't stay open. And and honestly, like not even just the last three years, like it's been over large portions of time, even before, you know, Pamela and I were here or before mm. we were born. You know, I have friends right. who are older than me and were here like in the 80s. And they talked about just all these different like little um, theaters and basements and stuff where they were able to create things that eventually became, you know, sort of classics mm. of the stage. And, you know, so the fact that La Mama was able to have this revitalization and be able to like come back and offer space to people to create new work is really exciting. Um, and also adds a lot of hope. You know, we started this episode on a lot of frustration about what's happening, <laughs> but you know, it yeah. also comes back to, you know, I wanted us to end with looking at all the wonderful things that people are trying to do because yes. people are doing great things. They are trying to open up spaces. They are trying to open up um, opportunities. And so- yes. Just like I said at the beginning of this episode, if if even if every one of us decides in the morning we're going to make a better choice, yeah, then then that better choice will influence other people. You know, they'll Most be affected definitely. by that, and yeah. that just keeps going and going and going. It's like sort of a little bit of that like pay it forward idea, and so um, yeah, friends, there's there's a lot of cause for hope. There's a lot of cause for despair, but like, <laughs> you know, it starts with you just making better, smarter, more inclusive, more equitable choices yeah. uh, so that spaces become better for everyone. So, yes. um, so that's it. Ah, that was good. It was cathartic. <laughs> it was nice. It was good. I hope you guys felt the same way. <laughs> yeah. And as always, you know, like hit us up on the emails, on the socials, uh, wherever you like. And, um, you know, too, like if you want more information on these specific, you know, like 
Leo Frank and that whole story and things like that. Like we're happy to whatever we know or whatever links we can send you, or, you Mm -hmm. know, if you're interested in knowing also about the street and camp Siegfried and these other camps that were up here, I also have a great story about one town called Southington, Connecticut in called Southington, which was in Connecticut, that absolutely said no to somebody trying to build a a neo-Nazi camp up there. Wow. And it's a wonderful story. And there's a documentary about it. And so again, more cause for hope. So if anybody's interested in knowing more about that, I'm like happy to offer that, you know, how to email us. Uh, And that's it. All right. If nothing else, all of the lights have been turned on. Nobody's going to be hiding in the shadows anymore. That's right. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) thanks for listening friends yes thank you bye Bye. (laughs) thank you for listening to our podcast theater geeks anonymous you can follow us on instagram and twitter at tgab way and on facebook at theater geeks anonymous don't forget to rate review and subscribe to the theater geeks anonymous podcast on the Broadway Podcast Network and all your favorite podcast listening apps. Your intermission sode has now concluded. Shut up, sit down, and turn off your cell phones. Or we'll tell Patty Lapone. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists. What they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There is enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.